Matthew chapter 1. We're going to do some couple of Christmas things for the next couple of weeks. I do want to say this. Um, tonight, I hope that you'll all come tonight. I'm going to bring a special message addressing the shooting that just took place in Connecticut. Um, we, need a, we need a scriptural response to all of this. A, 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 a biblical worldview of what's going on uh, in these situations. So I hope that you come back tonight at 5.30. I'm going to be discussing that. There's so many things that I want to say about it. But I'll only say this. Pray for those families. You know, um, there are a lot of people giving answers. And most of the answers that I've seen on television are no help at all. Um, so let's pray that somehow the, the answers will get there. I know that the, that the neighboring community there, Stratford, Connecticut, um, I, there's, a, there's a good church there. I preached in that church. Uh, Mike Peslak, I, I meant to try to call him this morning. I'm curious to know of any connection between his church and, and this struggle. So let's, why don't we go to the Lord right now and pray for them. Lord, you are not surprised by any of this. Um, I know that for those who don't know you and they, they don't believe, they wonder, how can you allow something like this to happen? But, of course, we understand from your word that you created freedom and man performs acts. But, Lord, you did know. And so, Lord, I pray now that you will comfort these families. Lord, I pray that you'll give opportunity for the light of the gospel to enter in to this horrible situation. And, uh, Lord, I pray that, that we can be thankful for the safety that you provided for us. Lord, we just love you and we're thankful for you. Please help us as we study your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to look this morning at three accounts of the announcement of Christ's coming and the responses to them. And my message is simply this, faith at Christmas. Faith at Christmas. And it's so funny, as Christmas season begins, we get to Thanksgiving and everybody's so excited about Christmas. How many of you kids are excited about Christmas? Oh, yeah. You're getting nothing for Christmas. That's what I sing to my kids all the time. Now, look, we got so excited. How many of you are tired right now? Man, it seems like this time of year it gets so busy and we're so distracted and how many of you have seen Bill O'Reilly's comments about the war on Christmas? Have any of you seen that? You, the rest of you have not. How many of you have not seen his comments? That's so interesting to me. I thought more would have. Um, it, it's interesting. He's showing it as a, that Christianity is a philosophy and that the founders, you know, they, they established it as a philosophy, not a religion and all this stuff. And he doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. It's just hilarious to, to listen to people try and discuss Christmas. And now, how many of you understand Jesus Christ was not born on December 25th, right? But our country has chosen this time, and many in the Western world have chosen this time to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to take some time and talk about that. But the simple fact is, it's not a secular holiday. Now, there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of money involved. But so many of those people, they do not believe in the Savior that came. They believe in the dollar that celebration of His birth can bring. And we all recognize that. But the simple fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ did come. The, the things that the Bible communicates 
the events that are communicated in the Scriptures surrounding His birth, they are actual events. They are historic events. They really happened. Now, I love Christmas music and I love the fun. I love going to the stores and seeing the, the decorations and all of that. How many of you do not want to step foot in a mall this time of year? Right, I understand. I like it. I always did all my Christmas shopping like December twenty fourth. I just, I just like being out in the craziness of Christmas. I like that. That's fun. I, I enjoy all of that. Some people don't. Some people want to crawl in a hole and pray for June. <laughs> you know, and I, I understand all of that. But what I want to do, and what I try to do every year at this time is draw our attention back to Jesus Christ and to the Scriptures. Because when it all goes away, you know, you're going to get something for... You're going to, many of us will hope for something for Christmas. And then, you know, like you'll get that, that new cookbook with recipes like Spam Soup or Pineapple Upside Down Beans or something like that. And you're thinking, this is not really what I wanted. You'll get a tie that you'll only be able to wear when that family member comes over because you would not be seen in public. With you know, Somebody will give you a Michigan tie or something like that. And you just say, there's no way that I can possibly wear that, Bob Curlis. I just, there's no possible way that I can go out in public with that. But honestly, there is disappointment that happens at Christmas. There's loneliness that happens at Christmas. If you've lost a loved one, these times become very difficult. Imagine those people in Connecticut. Christmas is never going to be the same for those people. It's just not. And so we have all of these issues that are surrounding it. And so what I want us to focus back on today is faith at Christmas. Faith at Christmas. So let's start in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. So get Matthew chapter 1 in your Bible, and then get John chapter 12. Matthew chapter 1. We'll begin there. Matthew chapter 1. And when you have Matthew chapter 1, open John 12. How many of you recognize that there are a lot of people who do not believe the Christmas story? That it's just a myth. It's interesting. There are pastors in churches in Sydney, Ohio, in Piqua, in Troy, in the surrounding communities. There are actual pastors who will stand up in a pulpit this morning who do not believe the Christmas story. Is that crazy? That would be like being an, an airplane designer and not believing in physics. Who wants to get on that plane? Nobody. So don't go to a church where the pastor doesn't believe the Bible. Listen to what Jesus says about it. Look at John chapter 12. And look at verse 48. Uh, why don't we look at verse 46? I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. How about that? So the simple fact is Jesus Christ came to be a light 
in darkness. Is that right? How many of you understand that we are surrounded by darkness? We've just seen it this past week. Horrible, horrible darkness. We are surrounded by darkness, but Jesus Christ came to be the light of the world. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. But the only way the world can be saved is by believing His words. Is that right? So you can't be saved by reje- and, and reject God's words. You can't do it. Because the Bible says we're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God. The Scriptures are the agent of our salvation. No one could be saved if God had not revealed Himself to us in His Word. You have to believe it. Now look. There are people that say, well, if I do go to hell, I'm going to blame God because He didn't reveal Himself to me or He could have been clearer. He could have spoken to me. How many of you have heard somebody say something like that? I have. Jesus Christ died. Millions of people through history have died to bring you this book. We just have to believe it. So when we step back from Nestor, the long-eared donkey... Right? When we step back from all of the stories, the little drummer boy. Come, they told me, pa rum pa pum pum. Come on, everybody. Pum, pum. Right? There's no little drummer boy in the Bible. He's not there. When we step back from. Come on, that was a pretty good rendition of that, wasn't it? Were you impressed? When we step back from this, when we step back from all of that, and we come back to the Scriptures, what do we find? Faith. Faith. So I want us to look at the way that three different people in the Scriptures responded to the announcement of the coming of Jesus Christ. And let's see if we can learn something from it. First, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Thou son of David, fear not. Yeah, that's easy for the angel to say. Right? How many of you, if an angel appeared in front of you, uh, you would be afraid? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, fear not. Um, Middle of verse 20. Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. (laughs) This is terrible to make a joke right here. But some, some, some people should have warned guys about the wives that they were going to take. They should, be afraid of her. Be very afraid. But here it says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So now here, here's the deal. Remember, this has never happened before. Right? This has never happened before. You can't look back and say, I wonder how dad would have handled this. This, this hasn't... You, who do you go for counsel on this? 
based on my vast experience with virgin birth, this has never happened before. Is that right? And so look at what it says. Verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Parenthetical statement here. Jesus didn't come. Jesus didn't come to make everybody feel happy, to give a warm, fuzzy feeling. Jesus didn't come to put his stamp of approval on every immoral behavior in the world. Jesus Christ came to save people from their sins. That's what he came for. That's the message of Christmas. We could just stop right there. But I'm not going to. Don't get excited. But we could just stop right there. That's why he came. To save people from their sins. And if that's not the message of the Christmas celebration, if that's not the message of whatever it is you're doing at Christmas time, it's a wonderful holiday that you're trying to have, but it's not about Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. Okay, now, close parenthesis. Let's go back to this. Verse 21 again. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, questioned everything that he had heard. What's it say? Did, as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So now, here we have the story of the, the presentation of this information to Joseph. So our first example is Joseph. Simple, obedient faith. Simple, obedient faith. How many of you, seriously, put, try to put yourself in this situation. How many of you might have had some questions? That's not what Joseph did. He woke up and he did what God had told him. He did what God had told him. So this is simple, obedient faith. And the idea of this message is, okay, what's my faith like? How would I, if the Word of God came to me... How would I respond to it? All right? So we're going to ask that question toward the end. Simple, obedient faith. Now, by simple, I don't mean simpleton. I don't mean simplistic. Joseph was, all, was obviously a thoughtful man, and he was a just man. Is that right? He was a thoughtful man, and he was a just man. He wasn't an idiot. It's not like the, it's not like the fathers that are demonstrated on television where the children are so much smarter than the parents, right? Well, in this case, Jesus was, but you get the point. He was no buffoon. Dalton Robertson's mom was real mad at him and his brother one time, and she said, I'm not a buffoon. And so they had to be very careful not to laugh at their mother at that particular moment. (laughs) But whenever I hear buffoon, I think of that. It's just hilarious, man. I'm not a Bethune. Joseph was not Joseph was not a simpleton. He was not an ignorant man. 
He simply believed God. He was a holy and he was a righteous man. He was a just man. When the Bible says he was a just man, look, at, look back at that in chapter 1 and look at what it says. Um, verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. What, what does it mean to be just? What, what does that mean? It means that he had placed his faith in God and in the promises of God. Is that right? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, was Joseph believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? No. No, but he believed God. He believed God. He believed the light that was given to him. He believed God and he was a just man. So by being a just man, that doesn't mean that he was just going to weigh the facts and try and come to the best conclusion. No, he knew what God said. And the Bible says that he has to put her away. She's either got to be stoned or put away. That's what happened. He was going to obey God. He was going to do what God had told him to do in that situation. Can you imagine how brokenhearted he was? Can you imagine how devastated he was? And now the angel of God comes to him in a dream. He was a just man. His faith wasn't based on ignorance. His faith was based in his knowledge of the Word of God. He believed God. How impossible it must have seemed to be able to do the right thing. As a just man, Joseph owed it to righteousness and to himself not to ignore his betrothed's condition. But as her husband and the one who loved her with all of his being, how could he put her who was so dear to him, to public shame. This had never happened before. We've got to understand, this is faith. This is faith in the face of the impossible. That was Joseph. That was Joseph. When Joseph found out that Mary was with child, there's no doubt in our minds what he thought or how brokenhearted. But while he's thinking about these things, God comes to him in a dream, and here's what God says to him. Tell me if this is easy to understand. That one time in all of human history, God's Son is going to be born. One time in human history, a child will be born without a man having anything to do with it. And then I'll choose a woman, a virgin, and I'll bring my Son into the world through that virgin. And then the Holy Spirit of God will overshadow her, and the Son of God will be born. He'll be the seed of a woman unlike any other birth in the history of mankind. Y'all got that? This is what Joseph was required to believe in the middle of an impossible situation with his heart broken, devastated, broken. And now he's faced with the impossible. And what did he do? He obeyed. He trusted. He had simple, obedient faith. Now, of course, you and I are never going to come across this particular situation. Would you all agree with that? This is not something, if this happens, someone's lying to you. All right? This is not going to happen again. But there are many times in our life when our hearts are going to be broken. We don't fully understand what's happening around us. We wonder as we think on these things, Dear God, am I going to sink? What else can I do? Well, God will say to us, The only way you're going to make it is to put your faith in me. Believe me. Trust me and allow me to see you through it. Simple faith. Now, do you all see that? The, how many of you would agree that Joseph's faith was amazing? Simple, obedient 
faith. Our second person. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Let's look at Mary. Mary's faith was young, holy faith. Young, holy faith. Um, We don't know how Mary was. Isn't it interesting that we know so little about Mary and Joseph? Isn't that interesting? Why? Because it's about Jesus. It's not about them. And this is something that we as Christians need to come to understand. The Christian life is not about us. We do make it about us, don't we? It's about Jesus Christ. But we do have some information about Mary. And what's interesting is young ladies, she was somewhere probably, they say, between 13 and 16 years old. Isn't that interesting? How many of you girls here are between 13 and 16? Okay, here we are. Put yourself in this place right here. Put yourself in this place. Really interesting. Here's Mary. Look at Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Na- to, uh, unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Can anyone say amen to that? (laughs) Yeah. She was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Okay, you ready? Taylor, how old are you? Thirteen. Taylor, blessed art thou among women. Really? You see how when we actually look at the words of the Bible and try to understand what's going on, imagine someone coming up to me and saying, "Uh, James, you are highly favored among all the men of the world. And I would say, I know. (laughs) Mary wasn't like that. It's so interesting, this salutation that came to her, it troubled her. What? She cast in her... I don't really think that. It was a joke, okay? All right? She she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Then look at verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary... I, I think that's interesting. In each of these, in each of these accounts, there's a fear not. Interesting. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. How many of you would like to find favor with God? How about this? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wouldn't you love to find favor with God that way? Oh man! Then look at what it says, verse thirty-one. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. And bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. 
Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the embryo, the mass, the mistake, leapt, oh, babe, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, I don't, I'm not going to take the time to spend a lot of time there. But how many of you understand these are babies we're talking about? These are people that we're talking about. And you know when a child is conceived, that's, that's a person. That's a person. Uh, so it, it's interesting. If you believe the Bible, it will impact everything that you do in the culture. It will. Okay, so back to the story here. Mary's faith. Now notice how, what Mary's response was. Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Whatever you want. That's what I'm going to do. But she did ask a question. Joseph did not question. Mary did question. Look at her question. It says in verse 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Mary's faith was young, holy faith. She could have asked many questions. She was troubled with the salutation. But of course, wouldn't you be? That, that was simple. But think of the question she could have asked. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How can God be born of a woman? How can that happen? How can somebody sit on a throne forever? How can all of these things happen? Those are all questions that she could have asked. And many others. But she didn't. Her question was based on purity. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? I want you to think about something. Mary, Mary cared about the purity that God had given her. You see that. That's where her mind was in this question. You're going to have a baby. How can that be? How can that be? And notice how she's introduced. What is repetition in the Bible? God's volume control. God emphasizes through repetition. Look at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, here's where this is so important. Here's where this is so important. In the scriptures, her holiness was more important than her name. Her purity was more important than her name. You see, we need to get back to where a young lady is identified by her purity, by her holiness, by her modesty, by her shamefacedness. We live in such a wicked and immoral culture. Um, there's a wicked, uh, horrible woman. Her name is Camille Paglia. Um, and she has written for years and years on sodomite issues. She's a professor at Philadelphia, a college in Philadelphia. And she just wrote an article talking about how Taylor Swift and Katy Perry 
they're bad examples for young ladies and womanhood because they're too pure. Katy Perry's too pure? How many of you think she has a skewed understanding of purity? Is that right? It's amazing how far our culture has gone. We need to emphasize purity and holiness and righteousness and shamefacedness and modesty to our young ladies. Why? Because that's what God emphasized to the woman that He chose, to the young lady that He chose to be the mother of the Savior of the whole human race. Her purity was key to this. How many of you see that? Her purity was key to it. And her purity was so significant to her that in the face of all of this miraculous information, this miraculous event, the thing that was foremost in her mind was her own purity. Why? Because that purity was for God. That purity wasn't about a personal pride, a personal arrogance. Her purity was about her Savior, the one that she was looking forward to. How do we know that? Because she talks about God, her Savior in her prayer that comes up in just a few minutes, or in just a few verses. She had a simple, pure, obedient, holy faith. She would not sin to be obedient to an angel. Amen. Faith. Simple faith. But she had a question. Let's look at the third one. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Drop down with me to verse 11. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now that would freak me out. Look at verse 12. Here at night, you know, if I'm here by myself, the doors are locked. And here's, what, here's what's real. This building moves. I'll be in my office. I'll hear something going on. I'll open my door and I'll come out. Nathan! Nathan! If, if, if I'm studying, if I'm in here praying, and something appears right here, I'm out. That's what's happening here. Is that right? So look at the next verse. <laughs> Verse 11, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. No kidding! But the angel said unto him, Here it is again, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall, be, uh, shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. That's a good way to be great in the sight of the Lord, isn't it? Yeah, amen. Remember that at the Christmas celebrations. Eggnog, baby. Now look at what it says. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Oh, really? There's intelligence there, huh? It's interesting, isn't it? And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
And Zacharias said unto the angel, look at Zacharias's question, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. Now, can I ask you a question? Uh, is that a fair question to ask? My wife's, like, like with Abraham, my wife is past childbearing. I'm an old man. How's this going to happen? Now, as I look at it, in my mind, that is as fair a question as was Mary's question. How can this be? How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Uh, whereby, here, look at what he says. He says, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well stricken in years. It's a fair question. And yet, Zacharias is chastened of the Lord for that question. Look at the next verse. Verse 19, And the angel answered, and the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Why? was Zacharias chastised for asking what would be to us a reasonable question. Isn't that interesting? You know, think about yourself. Think about yourself. Um, let's say that I went to Patrick and I said, Patrick, we have this project we need to accomplish at the church. Will you do it? He's a busy guy. He's got a family. Right? He's a busy man. So he might say, Okay, what does it entail? How much time is it going to take? How many of you think those are reasonable questions? Nobody? <laughs> those, are, those are reasonable questions, right? That's not what God wants from us. That's not what God wants from us. Now, let me say this. That's where the pastor has to be careful that whatever he's asking to be done is something that affects the Lord's work, not just busy time, right? But, but the simple fact is, God expects us to be willing to do whatever it is that He wants us to do. A better analogy would be when I come to a person and I say to them, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I show from the Word of God, do you believe that? Well, I've got a lot of questions. I've got a lot of questions. Look, at some point the questions have to stop. You need to believe the Scriptures. What's the difference between Mary's question and Zacharias's question? Mary was a young girl who was believing in God. Zacharias had ministered to the Lord and for the Lord for decades. And more is expected of mature faith than of young faith. That is such an interesting and sobering and convicting thing for me. Because I've got to tell you, as a young man, honestly... As a young man, I had a heart for God. I was willing to do whatever it is that God wanted me to do. As I get a little bit older, I think, I don't know if I have the energy for that. I don't know if I have the time for that. I don't know if I can do that. How many, seriously, how many of you have experienced those same feelings? We're not allowed. Listen. 
when God tells us to do something as mature believers, we're not allowed to question Him. There was chastening. Now, isn't it beautiful? The chastening wasn't forever. It was for a moment. And what happened? Zacharias responded to the chastening. He responded to the chastening. Look, look with me. Oh, I wrote, I have this verse down. Luke 12, 48. For, whom, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. He had known God and ministered for God long enough to have not questioned His word. But look at how he, look at how he learned his lesson. Go to verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. I love it that Elizabeth believed. Isn't that good? She believed. Then look at what it says. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. Isn't it funny? He can't talk, so they think he can't hear. <laughs> what do you want him to be called? They're making signs to him. It's hilarious. <laughs> you know, look at what it says. And he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, his name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately. And his tongue loosed. And he spake and questioned God. What's he do? He praises God. See, when God asks us to do something, we ought to thank him, not question him. When we're in an impossible situation with God, all things are possible. So here, he was being held to a higher standard. Listen, he was being held to a higher standard than the one who would bear the Son of God. Why? Because he was supposed to know God. He was a minister of God's Word. Then, so we've looked at Joseph's faith, simple and obedient faith, and Mary's faith, young and holy faith, and Zacharias, mature but hesitant faith. What about your faith? Is your faith simple and obedient in the face of the impossible? Is it young and holy, only wanting to please Him? Is it mature but hesitant, bringing chastisement? What about your faith right now? What does God think of your faith? I'm always reminded... Do you remember what happened when Jesus Christ went to Nazareth? And he went into his own country. And he begins preaching there. And they don't believe him. They don't believe in him. It says, and he could there do no mighty work, save that he healed a few sick folk. He couldn't do it. He, it they didn't have any faith when he went to preach in Nazareth where they should have known him. And the Bible says, and he marveled. It's Mark 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about. He just left. There's another place. He marveled. There. There's only one other place in the Bible where Jesus marveled. Remember when the, the ruler comes to Jesus and he says, I have a servant who's sick. And Jesus said, I'll come to your house and heal him. He said, no, I command men and I understand authority. And if you'll but say it, he'll be healed. 
Jesus Christ said, I have, and Jesus marveled. He marveled. He said, I've not found such so great faith. No, not in Israel. Why did he marvel there? Because he found faith where it shouldn't have been, a Gentile ruler, a Gentile commander. And he didn't find faith where it should have been, among people who had watched him grow up as the perfect, as the perfect God-man. What does God think of your faith? What does God think of your faith? Is your faith simple and obedient like Joseph? Is your faith young and holy like Mary? Or is your faith mature and hesitant like Zacharias? What about your faith? Now, you might be here this morning and you're thinking, man, I have never heard anything like this before in my life. I've never seen a church service that's like this. Look, style doesn't matter. It's not, in, it's not important. What's important is, do you believe the words of God? Go back. Let's be done. Last verse, John 12, verse 48. John 12, let's do, let's, do, let's do the whole passage again, verse 46. John 12, this is for those of you who are here and you've never really believed God's word about your eternity. Look at what God says. Verse, this is John chapter 12 and verse 46. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Here's my question. If you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Are you sure? There's only one way that we can know that we're going to heaven. There's only one way that we can know. By receiving the free gift of eternal life that Jesus Christ came to offer us. How does that happen? Through repentance and faith. <clears throat> repentance and faith. What is repentance? Repentance is a change. It's a change from what I was trusting to trusting Jesus Christ. Repentance is repenting of sin. It's changing what I believe about my own sin. How many of you understand that you're a sinner? We under, I think everyone understands that they're a sinner. But most of us just don't think that our sin is bad enough to go to hell. We didn't shoot 30 people in Connecticut. We must understand that our sin, our sin is just as condemning as that sin. We might not have done anything as egregious as that. But the Bible says any transgression of the law is sin. The Bible says if you violate the law in one point, you are guilty of all. Jesus doesn't want to judge you. There's only one thing that will judge you. That's the Word of God. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. That's why the gospel is called the good news. Jesus doesn't want you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to pay for your sin. That's why He paid for it. Himself on the cross. That's why He came at Christmas. So that His body could be beaten 
It could be pierced. It could be spat upon. And it could be hung on a cross. They didn't kill him. He gave up the ghost. Then he was buried for three days and three nights. But then he rose from the dead, proving that he was and is and always will be God. And if you will believe that, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's such a wonderful thing. Look, but if you think that you can be good enough to go to heaven, you're going to go to hell. Jesus didn't need to come if you could be good enough. If you believe your church membership will take you to heaven, you know I've said this often, there are more Baptists in Ohio than will be in heaven. It doesn't matter what church you go to. Doesn't matter. Your church can't take you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ can and faith in Him. Well, I've been baptized. Look, your baptism can't take you to heaven. It can't take you to heaven. Only faith in Jesus Christ can take you to heaven. Do you believe His words? They're going to judge you in the last day. That's why He came at Christmas to save you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that You will give